Jesus is going to start out, and he's going to begin to teach the guys. And he says, okay, guys, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you out, and as I'm sending you out, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Go up to verse 16, and let's begin walking through this passage. He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Behold, I'm sending you out. I've called you. I've given you power, and now I'm sending you out as sheep. Now, who are the sheep? The disciples, or are they wolves? They're the sheep. Matter of fact, Jesus says, as a disciple, I'm going to give you three key animals, a sheep, snakes, and doves. This is how you are to go out. You are to go out and to understand this. You are no longer the majority. If you choose to follow Jesus, you are not the majority. And for so long in our country, we have been the majority, right? We have been the majority. Some of us have been silent, but yet we still have been the majority. And as I pointed out just a few weeks ago in USA Today, and then also Time has now, Time Magazine has now reiterated that Protestants no longer make up over 50% of the United States. You are now the minority but you are a minority that's been called to go on mission. Not on your mission, but on the king's mission. And he says, I'm sending you out as sheep. Now, I started looking at this, and I began to say, well, why couldn't we be wolves or be something tougher, right? I mean, it would be kind of nice. If you're going to give us power, and you're going to give the disciples the power to heal all the sickness, you're going to give the disciples power to, to raise the dead, wouldn't you think that Jesus could actually make them at least lions? Or a tiger? Or a bear? Oh my. Something more than a sheep. Why would Jesus call them out to be sheep? Sheep are not smart. Sheep have no defense mechanism. They can run, but they can't run very fast, right? Matter of fact, in the course of running from a wolf, ready for this? A pregnant ewe will actually drop her lamb in order to get away faster. That's a good mama for you, right? Come on. Why would Jesus say you're going out as sheep? If you're the disciples, you're going out as sheep. If you know the 23rd Psalm, the 23rd Psalm says Jesus, says Jesus is our shepherd, and he does what? He actually takes us to where we need to eat, the green pastures, right? As sheep, you are dependent on somebody else to show you the good food. Sheep are so dumb that they will even eat poisonous leaves. They can't even decide for themselves. Matter of fact, they even have to be taken to still water. Do you know why they have taken in the 23rd Psalm? It's my great shepherd, the lead, the, our shepherd who leads us beside the still waters. Do you know why he takes us to still waters? Because sheep can't swim. And if you take a sheep, uh, you take sheep to a running river, if they fall into that river, they can't swim. The current will begin to knock them over. And when the current knocks them over, their wool becomes so heavy, it actually drowns the sheep. And Jesus calls these guys out and says, you are going out and I'm sending you forth as sheep. You're not going to be very smart. Thank you. You have no protection. And your tendency is going to be to do whatever other sheep do. <laughs> if one sheep jumps... Several behind it will jump as well. They follow whatever is happening around them. They have no idea why they're jumping. 
Matter of fact, in USA Today in 2000, and um, I think it was eight or nine in July, they actually posted in Istanbul, t- Turkey, 1,500 sheep. 1,500 sheep were out grazing on the side of Turkey, and the shepherds began to get hungry. It was breakfast time. So they leave the little, the, all the sheep out here on the side on the mountain, and they go over to the little cafe, and as they're eating at the cafe and they're drinking their coffee, they can see their sheep, and all of a sudden, one of the sheep jumps over the cliff. These shepherds are sitting there drinking their coffee, eating their breakfast at the cafe, and they watch as the second one jumps, the third one jumps, the fourth one jumps. By the time they get up to where the sheep are at, 1,500 sheep have jumped over the cliff. Now, that takes new meaning to when your parents ask you the question, if all your friends are jumping off the cliff, would you jump too? Right? It just kind of takes it to a whole new level. So they jump off, 1,500 sheep. Now, here's, here's kind of the funny thing. If you look for humor in weird stories, 450 sheep die, but 1,050 are saved because of the cushion fall below them. <laughs> so I guess you can answer your parents when they ask that question. Would everybody else jump? Would you jump off if everybody else jumped? As long as everybody jumped first? Yes, absolutely. I'd be cushioned. I'd be safe. Sheep aren't smart. And Jesus tells the disciples, I'm sending you out. Yes, I've given you power. Yes, I've given you authority. But I'm sending you out as sheep. And look what he says. Among wolves. It is unnatural, it is uncommon for a sheep to go looking for trouble. They won't naturally walk into the wolves' den, but yet that's what Jesus is calling us to do. As disciples, he says, I'm calling you to go out, and as you're going out on my mission to extend my kingdom, to preach about the coming kingdom, about me being the king, as you're going out, you're going out amongst wolves. Get ready. Don't be naive. Don't be confused. There are people out here who are ready to hurt you for the name, for you preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And you are to go out with no defense other than the Holy Spirit. No power other than Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus tells the disciples later on when he gives the Great Commission, all power has been given to me, right? under heaven and earth. And now he does what? I'm giving it to you so that you can go out preaching my name in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus says, I'm giving you nothing else. You have no power on your own. You can't do this on your own, but you are to go out in my name, in my power, and what I give you, and I will bless, and I will do the work because your sheep and you're going out amongst people who are willing and ready to attack you. So as you go, not only should you go as sheep, but what else does it say? So, so be wise as what? Serpents. Serpents were considered some of the smartest animals of the ancient world. So you're to be wise. Here's what that means for us. You are to go out and not go looking for trouble. You should go out and be wise as you're proclaiming and as you're presenting Jesus Christ. Make sure you're doing it in a wise way. Don't go out looking for trouble. Just because you're in the na- coming in the name of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that he has to bless your stupidity. Does that make sense? 
we shouldn't go out trying to stir up problems, just causing it just for fun and just expecting God to bless. No, instead, he says, go out, be wise as serpents and what? Innocent as doves with purity, having the right heart motives to help. You see, the dove was even used when Jesus was first baptized, you remember, as the Holy Spirit coming upon him. It was a symbol of purity, holiness. You're to go out without any defense. You're to go out being wise, and you're to go out with purity of heart in the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was in college, I was a, um, for a little while, I was a telemarketer. Did you ever receive those telephone calls? Okay, I probably called you and you hung up on me. Thanks a lot. We were, we were calling for MCI, WorldCom. You remember that company? MCI, WorldCom, we'd call people back and forth. And there was, in, my, in the little bay there, um, there were 20 people that worked with us. And there was this one guy who I was, I was spending time with and I was talking to about Jesus Christ. And man, it was exciting to watch his interest. Because at first, when I started bringing up Jesus, he was not interested at all. And after just a little while, as we would talk, after several weeks passed, he began to become interested. And he was really confused by a guy his same age who was studying to go into church work. And so we were talking about all of this. And I was so excited because I could tell he was getting close to trusting Jesus Christ and so excited. And then my friend, who was going to the same school I was, I came around the corner one day. He had heard me talking to him about Jesus for a, a while. And my friend, I came around the corner. My friend was now talking about Jesus. And here's what he did. He says, that's it. And he slams his Bible down. He says, if you're not going to believe, then your blood is on your hands and it's not on mine and I'm clean forever. It's over. Ah! I was so frustrated. Because was he being wise? Not even close to being wise. His heart was maybe pure in the sense that he was really trying to help the guy trust. But he had missed the whole idea of wisdom and how to talk and interact with somebody. In church, here's what we do so often. Either we don't ever bring up the name of Jesus because we're scared. Or many times we go to the other extreme and we bring up Jesus and we do it in such a way that we offend everybody just because of the, our attitude and our manner in which we bring up Jesus. And what Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out. And I'm sending you out, not in your own power, not in your own wisdom. You don't have really any defense. All you have is me and I will be enough. And I want you to be wise in how you bring up my name. And I want you to be wise in how you approach people. And I want you to have the right heart motive because you're going out in my name. So look what else Jesus says now. So now Jesus continues. He says, okay, now be aware. Don't be naive. Don't be fooled. It's going to get tough. Are you ready? Now, this is not uncommon, is it? For a leader to stand and says, okay, guys, it's time for you to follow. And if you're willing, stand up, let's go. You remember the movie Braveheart? For some of you, Braveheart, he stands and he gives this great speech. And some of the guys say, well, let's turn back and let's run. And he says, okay, you can turn back and you would live. You'll live a little while, but you'll not live as free. And so he challenges them. Yes, it's 1,000 to 1 odds, but let's go forward and let's fight and let's see. I began to look through history and just find some other leaders. And as I found some other leaders, let me give you a couple more 
of leaders who stood and offered a challenge. After the siege of Rome in 1849, Garibaldi said to his soldiers, quote, men, all our efforts against superior forces have been unavailing. I have nothing to offer you, nothing to offer you, ready? But hunger and thirst, hardship and death. But I call on all who love their country to join with me, end quote. Winston Churchill, when the allies had been defeated and they're having to pull out a Dunkirk in 1940, Winston Churchill steps up and he begins to talk to his Englishman. And here's what he says. He says, men, all I can offer you is blood, sweat, and tears, end quote. Jesus is stepping in right now to his disciples and he said, don't be fooled. What you are looking at and what is ahead of you, it's going to be tough. This is not for sissies. This is not for little kids. You're going to have to be a man. You're going to have to be a, a woman. You're going to have to stand up and get ready because it's going to get tough. And the question for us is this. Is Jesus worth following even when it gets tough? Is Jesus worth following? And for many of us as Americans, we have lived in a very nice scenario. We've lived in a very nice society in which we really haven't had to ask this question much. My friend Juan is here today from Korea. He's a pastor over in Korea, missionary into China. And I feel very humbled to even be talking about persecution because I live in America. We have missionaries in this room today with Wycliffe and other places who have gone and they've seen and they've been a part of and they've sat next to and sat in the homes of Christians who've had to actually answer this question, is Jesus worth it? As a pastor, here's where I end up. I end up on conversations on the other side of my desk talking to people. They've lost their spouse or they've lost their kids. They get a terminal sickness and their faith is so shaken that they're asking the question, maybe I sh I've just missed it all. And they walk away from the faith right in the midst of suffering. And here's what I want to make sure that we hear today. The question that Jesus is putting out to you is this. Am I worth following even when it gets hard? That's a good question, isn't it? Is Jesus worth following even when it's hard? hope, I hope we can get to the point, myself included, okay, I'm right here with you, myself included, where I can strongly say, yes, he's enough, he's worth it. Jesus said, here you go, guys, be aware, because persecution's coming. Right now, as Jesus is speaking, as he's teaching his disciples, the persecution hasn't really heated up, but he said, guys, in just a little while, in just a few months, in just a few years, it's going to get tough. Are you ready? Persecution is going to come in four areas. First of all, be aware. For they will deliver you over to courts, flog you in their synagogues. Persecution is going to start among the religious. It's going to start among the religious. See, Jesus is clearly making sure they understood. In their synagogues. Whose synagogues? Your Jewish comrades, your 
peers, your fellow countrymen. It's going to start with religious persecution. You choose to follow me, it's going to start with me. Jesus, just a year and a half after this statement, it's a Friday night, and where is he at? In the Jewish court system. Saying he claims to be God. Blasphemy. And they're, see, in the Jewish culture, not only did you have a synagogue where you would meet to worship, but you would also have the synagogue, the same synagogue. You would have to go before the courts, the priest, and they would be the law, and they would judge you based on how you're living according to the law, the Torah. Can you imagine coming to church and I not only get to be your preacher, but I get to be your lawyer? <laughs> Ooh, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? And I would judge you, and I would judge you according to, are you living according to God's word or not? And if you're not living according to the rules and you begin to break the Jewish law, what they would do is they would take you out back, out of the courtroom, and they would take you and they would begin to flog you. They would begin to beat you, usually with 39 stripes across your back. And the Jews were allowed to judge other Jews in the Roman system. And Jesus says, be careful. Religion's going to bring persecution on you. If you remember, just a few years later, it's also the Jews were coming after the apostles, wasn't it? Bringing judgment. Not only was it the Jews, but it was other religions. You get into Acts, and Paul goes into Ephesus. And as people begin to change, and as people begin to convert to Christianity and following Jesus, what happens is this. All the silversmiths, all the idol makers began to go out of business because no longer were people buying other idols. And so in Ephesus, they come against him, these other religions, and say, wait a minute. You can't preach Jesus because it's impacting our economy. You can't preach Jesus because it's coming after us and it's hurting us. It's hurting our religion. You're not being tolerant. You should allow them to buy their own silver, their, their own uh, gods, their own carved images. Let them keep buying that. As long as they follow you, Jesus, that's okay. But they have to do both. And Paul says they can't do both. It's Jesus only. And they bring persecution against him. You begin to walk through history. History is repeat, replete with just story after story, with story after story of religion, finding other religions. And let me be clear, it will only end in Revelation when all the world's religions come together as one under the Antichrist. And if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you will be marked and all religious fury will come at those Christians at that time. It's only going to get worse until Jesus comes back and then he sets it all right. Continue on. Religious persecution. Look at verse 18. And you will be dragged from governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them among the Gentiles. He now begins to say, okay, guys, not only is it going to be religious persecution, but now it's going to be the governments. Now it's going to be the governments in which you live. They're going to begin to come at you. They're going to begin to make laws that say you can't pray. They're going to make laws that say you can't worship anymore. They're going to make laws, and the governments are going to come after you. Guys, you need to be ready. They're going to drag you to the king's courts. They're going to drag you in front of the kings, and it's going to get serious. So serious that your life is going to be on the line. He says, but guys, 
I love this promise. When they deliver you over to stand before the kings, don't be anxious. Don't, don't worry about what you're going to speak or what you're going to say, for you are to, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. What an incredible promise. I've never had to stand before a king to defend what I believe. But a promise is given before you ever have to stand, ever have to go before the government. Jesus gives a promise. Maybe it's in your workplace. And you begin to get worried, and you're now giving an account to your peers. What are you going to say about Jesus? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will speak for you. Trust him. Let him speak through you. What an incredible thought, isn't it? The governments are going to come at you. And if you remember that in just a few years from this time, Paul has to stand not only before the kings there in Jerusalem, but what does he have to do? He actually asks, can I please go to Rome to speak before Caesar? What an incredible, he's telling them, this is going to happen, guys. But when you stand before him, I'm going to give you the words to say. There comes a point in Acts that there's 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. And what begins to happen is as the gospel begins to spread, it begins to shake, and it begins to cause the economy of Rome to begin to tremble a little bit, and they begin to become fearful of the slaves. Do you know why? Because in the Roman economy, as long as the slaves were put down, then they didn't have to fear. But as millions of slaves began to become Christians, and as others began to trust Jesus, you know what happened? There was no longer free and slave. They were now considered equal. And it began to shake the Roman, and they began to become fearful of what the slaves might do. So they began to make lies up about Christians. And they began to say, those Christians... And they began to put down those Christians, and they began to say, those Christians, they're the ones that are cannibals. They're, they're cannibals. They, when they take the Lord's Supper, they're actually eating people's flesh. They're actually drinking blood. They're cannibals. Those guys are bad. Stay away from the Christians. They began to tell lies and spread lies. They began to become so hateful that then they even began to blame them for burning of Rome and other places. Government. Look at the next part here. The next part, it says this, verse 21. The next part of persecution is from your family. Brother will be delivered, will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Can you imagine that moment in that time? The moment in time in which families are completely severed and split because of persecution. Now today, let's be honest, there's actually probably some in this room, when you trusted Jesus Christ, they caused a major rift in your family. Maybe it even caused a major rift in your marriage. There are even today, consistently, as we talk about salvation, we have people who are trusting Jesus Christ. They start asking the question, well, I know I need to be baptized, but if I get baptized, you know what that means? What does it mean? It means that if I'm baptized, then my parents will no longer accept me. If I am baptized, that means my extended family 
will actually consider me dead. That's happening in our church even this past few months as we talked about salvation and baptism of people. You know, if I, if I actually follow Jesus, that means there's going to be a rift in my family. And the question becomes, is Jesus worth causing a divide in your family? For many, they have already had to fight through that and answer that question. And the answer is, he's worth it. He's worth it. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for you to pay for your sins. In his name, in his name only, do you find forgiveness. In his name, in his name only, do you find salvation. In Jesus' name, in his name only, are you actually connected with God for all eternity. It's in his name. You see, even in Nazi Germany, as Hitler was beginning to rise, story after story comes out of how kids would turn in their parents for either being a Jew or even even acknowledging Jesus Christ. It's a story that happens throughout the centuries, and it's a story that's happened over and over again. And as we head towards Revelation and the tribulation, can I just make sure we understand, it's only going to build and keep building. And we should not be surprised when it gets tough to follow Jesus. Tribulation will be marked over and over again by those who have to make the decision, is Jesus worth following? Now you get to verse 22, and it says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's kind of a hard phrase because not everybody hates us. We can claim the name of Jesus right now, and as we go out, there are some people who are going, thank you for being so bold. Thank you for being so kind, right? There's coming a point when you stand for the name of Jesus Christ, there will be a large portion who will be frustrated by you, who will be offended by what you say. But he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now here's a question for you. Does just enduring to the end give you salvation? The answer is no. For by grace you are saved through what? Faith. It's not your works so that you cannot boast, but it's the gift of God, right? It's the gift of God. So make sure we understand this. Just enduring does not give you salvation, but the tension is this. If you have been truly saved, if you have been truly converted, then it means you will endure. That's a great tension. It's kind of like James in his book. And in his book, there's this tension. Are you saved by works? The answer is no. But if you are truly saved, if you're truly converted, then you will have works that back it up. For those of us who struggle, and as we struggle, yes, there is a point when we struggle with suffering, and it's hard. But as it begins to build and as it begins to grow on us, there has to be a point in which in the midst of that suffering, we're willing to turn back and say, God, I'm going to trust you no matter how hard it gets. And as a true believer, that's where you end. I'm going to trust through it all. You remember that old song? Through it all, trust in Jesus, through it all. I would love to sing it for you, but I kind of made, was made fun of last week. I had my mic left on when I came from down here after interviewing. I went over here and started singing, and they could hear my singing throughout all the TVs and in the nursing mother's rooms. I blocked out everybody else, and my singing was coming through. And, and I had people say, Heath, that was the worst thing I've ever heard. 
And then at one point, I get on to my son. I say, Xander, stop. So they knew it was me. And I told him, I said, guys, you know what? I've never claimed to be a singer. Just never claimed it. I can't do it, but I'm making a joyful noise. That's what I'm getting to do. I'm making a joyful noise. It might not be joyful for anybody else, but it's a joyful noise, all right? So here we go, suffering. Now look what he says. You'll endure. You're truly saved. You're going to endure to the end. So a disciple, that's where we have to come back. If you're a true disciple, you will endure. Why? Not because you have the the fortitude, not because you have the willpower, but because you're trusting in God and what he's doing. He will give you the strength to endure the suffering you're going through. No matter how hard it is, no matter how painful. Now continue on. Here's what he says. Verse 23 is considered to be the hardest verse to interpret in the entire gospel of Matthew. Let's start off and let me make sure we understand it. It says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Now, that's not the hard part. Everybody agrees on that part. That's easy. It's that being wise as serpents. Hey, guys, if you're, you're facing persecution, remember, kick the dust off your feet and move on. Be wise. If you're facing persecution in a town, go ahead and move on to the next town so you're not hurt. So being wise, move on. So that's easy. Here's the next part. The next part, it says this. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That's the hard part. What does that mean? Some have said, well, it means that you're going to at least be able to go through most of the towns of Israel before Jesus is crucified and then when he comes back. Others have said, no, it's really not that point in time. He actually extends it to the day of Pentecost. Others will say it's not the day of Pentecost. It's really until around 70 AD when the second temple's destroyed. You won't have, you'll have had enough time to not really go through all that say you're a good man or you're a good woman and we could pick any one of those but that's where it is so here's what we want to do the question becomes now for us are we willing to endure suffering in order to end the last two things in the last two verses here i want to give us the last two points of just as far as application to our lives because the hard part is this we want to be a disciple We know that we should gladly serve. That's easy. We've heard that over and over again. But this idea of enduring the hardships, enduring the suffering, enduring the persecution, when people begin to make fun of us or when people begin to put us down, that gets tougher. And the question becomes, can we really do that? Should we really expect that it's going to get hard as we follow Jesus Christ? Can we do that? Yes. As long as it's in his name and as long as it's in his power. So here's what I want to end with. Ready? Suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or that he has forgotten you. Many times, especially with our mindset and our background, when trouble comes on our life and comes into our life, 
our immediate thought is this. What did I do wrong, right? Where's God, and does God even love me? That's the questions. And here's what I want to make sure we understand. Just because suffering came into your life doesn't mean that God hates you, and it doesn't mean that God is ignoring you. Look at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus simply tells us, and he helps us out. You should expect it to get hard because they treated Jesus poorly. And you're not above Jesus. (laughs) You're not above Jesus. So if it was hard on him, guess what? It's going to be hard on us. And if they made up lies, if they made up lies about Jesus and called him the prince of demons, you can expect that when you stand for the name of Jesus Christ, there will be moments and there will be time when people even lie about your character and lie about who you are. You can expect that but it's okay because it's not about your reputation. It's about his. It's not about your glory. It's about his glory. It's about his name. And when you stand and you're willing to stay and say, it's about him and I'll go through the suffering, Jesus says, I'll be with you. I'll take care of it. And I will work my glory, my purpose through you. And the last thing is this. I want to make sure that we hear this last part. The fight for the disciple. The fight going through the suffering for the disciple, ready for this, is bigger than what we can physically see. And here's what I want to make sure we hear. When suffering comes at us, when persecution comes, when people begin to fight, whether it's through through religion or government, through families, and many times it's the families that many of us face right now, when it's through society, what we need to understand is this. It's not the person in front of you, but yet there's something bigger going on behind it. What's bigger? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities. Against spiritual wickedness. Powers that are in high places. We're wrestling against demonic forces. And what we need to understand is this. When you choose and when you decide to actually fully Say, God, I'm going to be your disciple, and I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with passion. You can expect that when you actually decide to fully go after Jesus Christ, you will be putting a target on your chest, and spiritual darkness will be coming after you. But if you don't choose to actually fully go after Jesus Christ, then that target doesn't really come on you because you're not really doing anything that causes the darkness to actually tremble or move. But when you step out to follow Jesus, the target comes in, and there's something bigger going on. And here's what I want to make sure you hear. You ready? But greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. Amen.